people matter to God. You matter to God. And we started last week this series, Body and Soul. It's not just your soul that matters to God. You matter to God. All of you matters to God. Um, When you come to church, it's not just, oh, here, this is where we do the soul. Out there is the body. That's really bad theology based on Greek philosophy, dualism, uh, from before the first century. God cares about all of you. When we come here, we're talking about you, the entire you, loving God with all your mind, your soul, your strength. That involves all of you, right? Well, last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we followed Paul on this journey into talking about the body as he begins to clear up some muddled thinking of these believers in the Greek city of Corinth. Generally, folks there assumed that anything of importance having to do with the body had to do with either appearances or appetites. Appearances or appetites. How good you look or satisfying uh, your desires. Anything of importance dealing with the body for the Greek culture there had to do with one of those two things. And I think we saw that's not exactly ancient philosophy or ancient thinking, is it? Very much at play today in our world. Um, And Paul comes along and he says, (laughs) says, hold on a second, Corinthians. You are really cheapening the body with that kind of thinking. You were made for more than that. You are more than a collection of appetites. You're certainly more than how you look. For starters, Paul told them, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You were designed to worship God. Paul told them beyond that, your body was designed by God to be an instrument of His grace in this world, bringing His blessing into this world. Your body is a tool to be used by God. And then Paul told them, beyond that, your body is a trust from God. Your your body is a treasure. It it really belongs to God. You've got it on loan, right? Um, (laughs) But you are not your own, Paul told them. You were bought with a price, right? By the way, God didn't pick you up for a few quarters (laughs) at a garage sale. That wasn't the purchase price. The purchase price was what we just remembered a few minutes ago was the blood of Jesus. He paid a great deal for you. You were bought with a price. And seeing as how (laughs) God designed you, body and soul, it should come as no surprise that God doesn't just care about your soul. God cares about you, body and soul, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, they, our bodies, Paul told us last week, they, our bodies, were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. Now, we need to be very wary of voices, and they are all around us, cradle to grave. We need to be very wary of voices that might tell us we're worthless, That might tell us, oh, we need to be ashamed of our bodies. Because according to the very first chapter in the Bible, God made you in His image, and when God made people, He said it was very good. Here's our text this morning. Philippians chapter 3. 
starting in verse 18. For as I have often told you before, now say again, even with tears, a lot of emotion here, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, their appetites. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship, our citizenship, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Now, so often... When it comes to talking about personal change, and it can be you know, losing weight or it could be a daily Bible study that you want to start, a new habit you want to get started. But so often when we talk about personal change that we want to make, we get entangled in like the how-tos, in the logistics of the whole thing. And this passage, obviously, in Philippians 3 is going to take us a lot deeper than those programmatic concerns. We're not talking in Philippians 3 about programs and products, about surgeries or supplements, about gurus or gimmicks. Paul's going a lot deeper than that. And if you've ever, look, okay, let's just use this as an example. Like if you've ever started a diet before, or if you've ever tried to follow another program that was supposed to change your life in some way, you know, I think you know, that what generally ends up derailing us is not a flaw in the product, generally. It's not a flaw in the program. It's deeper, right? That roadblock that ends up derailing us tends to go down into the level of those beliefs that drive us, or the other word would be like motivation, okay? So we're going to consider these deep-seated beliefs that shape everything else about us. And it starts with establishing for myself, whose voice am I listening to? Listening to. Whose voice do I take seriously? What will I build my life on? Okay? Now, what if I told you I have actually held in these hands a bill, currency, worth $100 trillion. Now, I would not fault you if you thought I was a little bit nutty there or I'm just making stuff up today, but it's actually true. I have in my hands held a bill worth $100 trillion. I promise it's true. Uh, Jim and Karen Griffin got back from a trip to Africa a few years back. They came here on a Sunday morning, and Bill in this very room handed me that bill, or Jim handed me that bill worth $100 trillion. And I've even got a picture of it to prove it. All right? There it is. Federal Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. I promise to pay the bear on demand $100 trillion. That is real money. Now, it's a hundred trillion Zimbabwean dollars, which you could take a wheelbarrow full of that to a store and you wouldn't be able to buy very much. And I got the biggest kick out of that. I just I put it on a pew and I took a picture of that. 
Because clearly, not all currencies carry the same weight. Okay? You can even call something a dollar. It doesn't mean it's really a dollar, at least not a U.S. dollar. Not all currencies have the same purchase power, not even close. If you traveled much abroad, you know that. Back to your beliefs, back to your convictions. Some have more weight than others. Some have more purchase power than others. Some have significance. Others are worthless. Here's the question. <laughs> Will you believe what God says about you? Will the currency he issues, the word of God, will that carry weight for you? Or you, will you believe in the other fluctuating currencies around us in our culture? Very important question, and Paul is going to get at that. Because your decision on that one question will make all the difference. Choose well who you listen to. When it gets down to your beliefs, what you trust, what you understand to be true, that makes all the difference. Now, there are a lot of, a lot, a lot of competing voices out there, right? Uh, no shortage of messages bombarding us from the time we're born to this very moment. Some speak loud, some speak clear, some are more subtle and more stealthy. But some of those voices that we build our image upon, that we build our our what our purpose is, some of those voices down there deep simply don't really have value at all, about as wor worth about as much as a, a hundred trillion dollar bill from Zimbabwe. But if we're honest, we've decided they do have value. We do listen to them. We do act as if they carry weights. And they have shaped us. So here's my conviction what God says has real value. What God says has eternal value. Amen? The one who existed before time, the one who created me, the one who spared no expense to redeem me on the cross of Calvary, the one who has eternity mapped out for me, that's the voice I'm going to listen to. That's the word that has purchase power in the way I make decisions, in the way I live. And so Paul comes along, and Paul, tears in his eyes, begs the Philippians, and begs us to listen to God, to give weight to the voice that really matters. Now, okay, I get it. It's taken years even decades to perfect some of our messed up thinking. I get that. So to change that, it may take some time. You've heard the phrase before, journey of a thousand miles begins with just one step. Uh, I think that's true. Uh, having the courage to take that first step, putting one foot in front of the next, that's where it starts, that's where the change begins. And we're going to get into some specifics from Philippians chapter 3 this morning, unpack that a little bit. Before we do, I want you to hear from someone at this church who 
put one foot in front of the other and then another and experience incredible personal change, not because of her drive, not because she found some miracle product or program, but because she decided to listen to God. So hear Lisa's story, and then we'll get back to the text in just a moment. God, he showed me, you have my self-control, Lisa. You have my power within you, so you can do this. This is not from your willpower. This is my power. That was huge in helping me make a change. I really never had a point in time where I thought, oh my goodness, I need to lose weight. It was something that was always in the back of my head. Started working long, long hours. I was very focused and dedicated to my job and eating out a lot. I would drive through on the way home from late nights at work or we would order in food at the office because we would be there late. And I got used to eating bad foods all the time. And I enjoyed that lifestyle and I enjoyed being able to get Starbucks whenever I wanted every single day if I wanted. And all the whipped cream on top or um, whatever kind of takeout I was going to grab because that was easy and that was convenient. It just was gradual and it just happened slowly and so the weight just kept creeping on. At one point I probably went over about 200 pounds and thought, wow, I can't believe I've gotten here. I never thought I would. But then it kept going and it went well beyond that. I got to a place where I really was never very happy, but I just, you know, I just didn't want to make a change. I was too comfortable in that lifestyle. It was too hard to make a change. And I, I really had to pray that, God, I have to learn how to trust you and I have to let this go and let you do this for me because I can't do this myself. And I finally had to relinquish control to him. I tried a number of different programs and would lose the weight. And But the second you start going back to your old habits, it comes right back on, and I knew it was going to be a harder sacrifice. I didn't even want to try for a long period of time, and I, I didn't. I'd go periods where I'd think, I'm just not even going to bother. It's not worth it because it will end in failure, so why bother? There were a lot of tools that have helped me along this journey when I finally decided to make a change and that I wanted it to be permanent and one of which was a book called Made to Crave by Lisa Turkhurst. Um, a friend recommended it to me who had lost some weight and it taught me a lot about loving God over and above the food and gave me lots of scripture references that were tools to carry me throughout my days. Another tool was Weight Watchers. I thought it was a good program for a lifestyle change and something that I could maintain because I knew this had to be not a diet but an actual lifestyle change. So I have lost 120 pounds as of this morning. I feel great. I feel healthier than I ever remember feeling. I feel better and I feel stronger and like I can be used in more ways. When I set out to lose weight, it really was not solely for the purpose of losing weight. God had really pricked my heart that there was more ways that I could serve if I was healthier and help me see my body as his temple and if I'm going to be used by him, I need to take care of it. I felt hopeless. I felt like it was impossible, which is partly why I didn't want to try for so many years. And I learned that anything is possible with God and that if you really just put your trust in him, it is possible. I never would have thought I'd be sitting here 120 pounds less. 
God has brought me someplace that I just never imagined I would be. Lisa, are you here today? There she is. Stand up for us, Lisa. Give her a round of applause. Thank you. Take some courage to share like that. Back to these breakthrough beliefs, and I know a lot of these were at play as Lisa experienced that life change, and Paul is going to lead us through some of these. Uh, the first one is a balanced perspective, okay? Like I t we keep talking about, people see body over here, soul is over here, they have nothing to do with it. Uh, look, Paul is going to lead us into a balanced perspective. Talk about all of us made by God. I will adopt a balanced and biblical perspective, seeing myself as God sees me. Seeing myself as God sees me. God loves you. <laughs> Accept that. Build on that. He loves you body and soul. Now this runs counter to the way, um, and, and God cares about all of you. Now that run, runs counter to the way a lot of people think. They think, well, God cares about this part of me. He doesn't care about this other part of me. You know, it's the spiritual side. And this kind of thinking we need to reject. I'm calling this, this kind of thinking the divided self. The divided self. Um, I reject body or soul thinking. I reject body or soul thinking that splits me into separate, disintegrated spiritual and physical dimensions. This dualism we talked about that was so popular with the Greeks. Um, and Paul talked about that kind of thinking, what the result is, verses 18 and 19. He said, uh, they're enemies of the cross. Their God is their stomach. Their mind is on earthly things. Um, everyone knows, look, everyone, no one denies we have physical needs. We have a physical dimension. Hunger is real. The need for shelter and safety, those are real things. Uh, a bunch of other desires and promptings that come from this physical dimension as well. Some are good, some are healthy, some are helpful, some are not. No one denies that's a real thing, that physical dimension. But there is a spiritual dimension as well. Equally important, the human heart has a God-shaped hole in it that only the presence of God can fill. Now a divided self, this is what happens... The divided self tries to fill that hole, tries to meet that need using something other than God. And so you fill that hole with food or sex, or you try to fill that hole with, with money, or you try to fill that ho hole with a string of, of relationships. And the result is just more emptiness, more conflict, try something new, okay? In Christ alone do I find what my soul longs for. So, is God your stomach? Is God your pocketbook? Is God seeking the admiration of others? Is that your God? Is that what drives you? You're not going to find the abundant life in those things. You're always going to be this divided self, this impoverished self. So embracing a new kind of thinking, a new breakthrough kind of belief, is embracing this idea of the devoted self. The devoted self. Whole and holy. 
I am God's child, body, and soul. Not body or soul. I'm his child, body, and soul. In me, God has beautifully combined the spiritual and physical dimensions. I am whole and holy. And so Paul says, our citizenship, it's our identity papers, our citizenship is in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Jesus. His word matters. He's my master. He reigns in my life. So in Christ, he tells them, you're God's child. Uh, In Christ, you are precious. You are loved. You are adopted into the family of God at the cost of the Son of God. You matter to God. The cross proves that. Now, if your citizenship is in heaven then invest in the currency of heaven, not the fluctuating currencies of this world. Believe what the Father says to be true about you. Believe in the high value He puts on you. Uh, After all, you are His child. You are a citizen of His kingdom. Okay. Next, believe this. Uh, For each of His children, God, number two, God has a wonderful plan. Uh, You may have believed that at one point and stopped believing that. You may have never started believing that. Well, God's Word says, your Father's Word says, I have a plan for you. Whatever my present reality, I am certain that God has glorious plans for me, body and soul. Um, It says in verse 21, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. We could say a lot more here. I mean, we're really going to going to kind of abridge this down, but just know God has plans for you, and they are glorious plans. He guarantees to his children that they are becoming something other than what they are today. And the word that kind of summarizes that there is this word, glory. Glory is the future for the child of God. That is what the future holds for me and for you. (laughs) So will I anchor in that? Will I anchor in that truth that God speaks instead of the other lesser voices that speak into my life? Number three, one wise pilot. One wise, who's sitting at the controls? One wise pilot. That's a belief. Instead of trying to have 15 people run my life or 15 ideas, how about the Lord Jesus Christ, one wise pilot. When I am mastered by someone or something other than God, then I am, Paul says, on a path toward destruction. Good things are not coming my way. Uh, He says their destiny is their destruction. Their pilot, their God, is their stomach. It's their desires. It's following their wants. And their glory is in their shame. Um, Look, when I fly, and by the way, I do have a little bit of a flying phobia. Uh, I I don't love flying, but we all have to do it sometimes. But when I fly, I want one wise pilot to be in control. I don't want a team of four incredibly experienced, gifted, intelligent pilots all holding on to the yoke at the same time. Just one of them will do. Thank you. Because it gets confusing, all right? when you get more than one trying to steer the deal, right? Um, And one wise pilot, yeah, not just any pilot. 
Um, and when something or someone other than the Lord, right, is sitting in that God chair at the control of your life, things get out of whack. Um, now, God has filled this world with good things. He has. Those things are for our use, for our enjoyment, uh, for His glory. God has filled the world with good things, but we've said this before. When the, the, problem, <laughs> the problem is when the good things become the God thing. When the good things become the God thing, I've got a real problem. And so this phrase, I love this phrase that Paul uses. Their God is their stomach. I mean, it makes you just kind of think, their God is their stomach? Um, who or what is serving in that role for you? Who is piloting your life? Who is setting the course? Anything else other than God. Good things, bad things, neutral things, anything else than other, other than God is going to drive you into the ground at some point. And whether it's all these substitute saviors, these counterfeit gods that people call on, uh, the God of achievement, the God of success, the God of money, the God of sex, the God of drugs, the God of pornography, um, whatever it is that you're leaning on to get your significance, to kind of, that you wake up in the morning and that's who you serve. Uh, if it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, God says, that God is going to take you to destruction. He's not making a threat. He's not trying to, well, maybe he is trying to scare you a little bit, but he's telling you just the truth. I love you. I care about you. That's where you're headed if Jesus is not your Lord, right? Um, so a breakthrough belief is just the simple recognition of that truth, that God is God. Food is not God. Food's great. I love it. Food is not God. Money is not God. Your girlfriend or boyfriend is not God. Nothing else is God. I was made to serve and worship the Lord and nothing else. Now, there are some people, right, who see Christianity as well, or, or any kind of religion a lot of people think of, but let's think about Christianity. Christianity means losing my freedom. Christianity means losing my independence, but the truth is something different, and Paul's going to tell us that as well in a lot of places. Um, one of them is in Romans uh, chapter 6. But the reality is that when Christ is my Lord, when Jesus is at the controls of my life, I find significance, and I find freedom. Listen to what he tells them in Romans chapter 6, verses 13 to 14. He says, Romans, he says, use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. He says, sin, no longer your pilot, all right? Sin, no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Say that phrase with me right now. You live under the freedom of God's grace. Let's say that again. You live under the freedom of God's grace. He says, no, you're not locked up. Your life isn't, isn't ruined by Jesus in terms of you losing all of your autonomy. He says, you gain freedom when you accept the one true Lord, the one who made you, the one who designed you, the one who died for you. Something or someone will have mastery 
in your life. And it, it's a wonderful thing. Paul says you thrive when it's the Lord. Now finally, I believe that while I have a significant part to play in my story, and I loved this about what Lisa said, I believe my choices are important. Uh, there are tools out there that can help me get change. But really, what it comes down to is the powerful ally who is at work within me. And I hope you heard that in her story. That it wasn't up to her. That she had a powerful partner. So, number four, a tremendous power. The strength and presence of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will produce lasting change in my life. Paul talks about the power that enables Right, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that enables Jesus to transform my lowly body into a glorious body, that power is at work in my life, and that is a breakthrough belief when I come to understand that and I come to live according to that. It is not, now, let's be clear, it's not a given, okay, that just because you say you're a Christian that you have that belief, that you think God is on your side. It's not a given just because you say, I believe in Jesus, that you believe the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. There are a lot of Christians who live as spiritual orphans. They live as if they are all on their own. They live as if they're alone. 100%. On their shoulders if anything is going to happen and if that's how you think and if that's how you feel I would urge you to again to put weight on what God says not on what a preacher or someone else told you or yeah anybody told you years ago or something don't live as if God never adopted you into his family as if you are all alone. Don't live as if you're an orphan, spiritually speaking. The power that enables is available. The Father is near. And He is waiting for you to call out to Him. And that starts with believing in what He says. That He is near, that He is with you, that He is for you, that He has plans for you. I love this passage from 2 Corinthians 10.4. We fight with weapons that are different from the ones the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. That reference was 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. We fight with weapons that are different than the ones the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. So I'm just going to end this morning with a question to you. Where in your life are the enemy's strong places. I bet you know where those are. They may be emotional. They may be spiritual. They may be a physical battle. They are probably a combination of all of that. Where are those places where the enemy has established his 
fortresses. And will you lean on God's power? Or will you fight merely with the weapons of this world, weapons that have disappointed you over and over again? So, what do you do with that? Reach up. Start praying. Call out to God. And we'll have a space where you can do that as we stand and sing here in just a moment where you can get together with someone or come down and pray with me, one of the shepherds, cry out to God. Or maybe this morning you need to move into that citizenship that was bought for you on the cross. Become a citizen of heaven. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized into him. However you need to respond to the God who loves you, do that as we stand together and worship.